Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? It's good to see all of your faces. Uh, As Pastor Keith said, my name is Josh, and it really is so great to see you this morning. Hey, especially if it's your first time here, we just want to say welcome home to you. So glad that you've came out. It's no small thing, and we really want you to know this is home. Welcome home. If it is your first time, be sure to stop at our welcome table in the back before you head out so we can connect with you, answer any questions that you might have. Well, it is good to see you guys this morning, and before we dive right into today's message, I have a joke for you. Is that okay? Uh, Because this may, just a fair warning, this may be the only lighthearted part of the message today. So Pastor Keith, he said, hey, why don't you start with the joke? So we're going to go here. So what did Jonah's family say when he told them about what happened before reaching Nineveh? Anybody know? Huh, that sounds fishy. Uh, but, all right, thanks for the pity laughter. We got to laugh out. You know, it's funny. My mom said, hey, are you going to start with a joke like Joel Olstein does? I said, no, absolutely not. And here I am. <laughs> Guys, so good to see you again this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about a topic that's pretty deep, so come with me as we go. Uh, but it's a topic that we all experience at some point in our life. We're going to talk about grief and loss. And Pastor Keith so beautifully just led us in that moment of Reflecting, right? We, we feel the weight of that, especially this week. But we, we've all lost someone personally, right? Maybe that's a physical death. Maybe it's a relational death. I know for, for me, my wife and I, we've experienced that many times. And each time you kind of say, how, how do we cope with this? How do we, how do we grapple with this? And we all experience that and the pain of those losses. And I'm truly glad you're here this morning because I know God's peace is here. I know the Holy Spirit's here to comfort us and also to speak a word of power and truth. And I think it's even going to be a surprising word of empowering our lives to be a part of his good work. We're going to continue our series, Big Ten. And so we've been looking at the Ten Commandments that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses hundreds of years ago. We're looking through the course of time and seeing how these so practically and powerfully apply to our lives today, to you and me. These are so relevant and applicable. So let's look at a recap because we want to remember what we're learning like good students, right? So I'm going to have the the first five on the screen. Let's say these together, these commandments. No other gods, no idols, honor God's name, keep the Sabbath, honor your mother and father. Yeah, that's right. Last week, Pastor Keith did an amazing job talking about honoring mom and dad and what that looks like for us. You know, something I've been seeing as we work through these commandments, and I hope you're seeing this as well, is that these commandments that God gives, they are not independent of one another. Like each one of them is a gift for our lives. It's not just a burden or a thing to do. It's a gift that when working together with the others in conjunction, it builds one beautiful picture. Here's the result of that picture. We've been saying this every week. Say this with me. The Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God and reflect the Christian life. They really do. They reveal God's good heart for us as the ones that he created as his children, and they reflect the life that he intends 
for us to live. So let's go ahead. Let's dive right into commandment number six. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. God gives the law to Moses. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. That's it. This command, it's clear. It's concise. If you remember when we talked about the Sabbath, there was, there was some lengthy text there. Not so with this one. This is clear, simple, concise. And, and I think we can all nod and recognize there is a good need for this command in the world that we live in. Murder is widely recognized, and we declare that it is an atrocious crime. It's, it's wicked. It's unholy. And as Pastor Keith said on Tuesday of this week, we all felt the weight of that as we saw yet another school shooting, 21 people losing their lives, 19 of them children. I don't have to convince you guys of just the sadness and the burden that weighs in on that. It, for me as a father now to two little girls, it just hits differently. But it's just different when it's young children. But no matter any age, it's atrocious. It's a crime. You know, God hates murder. And that's really what we see right in this commandment. It breaks his heart. And only four chapters into the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it's recorded the first murder. Take a look at this. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. You have blood brothers, and over a moment of anger and jealousy, one kills the other, and it's only four chapters into the Bible. That didn't take long. Listen to God's response, and this is really important. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. See, in our society, I think sometimes we become almost numb to these stories. Murder is something that we hear of so often. Or violence, crime, and the war, the violence that's still going on across the world in Ukraine. There's killing both outside and inside the womb. Sometimes we tend to move past it quickly, don't we? We, we talk about it for a little while. We post a heart on social media. We try to fix this in our society. But I want us to see, in this account, God says, I don't move past it. I don't forget. The blood of those innocently slain cries out to me. His heart breaks, and he is a God of compassion. He is a God of love. He is not a God of violence and death. And there's a literal definition to this command, right? Thou shalt not murder, like, don't take another person's life. And that is a basic understanding for us. Like, that's a good thing. But let's look at a couple of reasons on why life is so precious. Two things. Life is sacred, and life is priceless. First, life is sacred. A human life is made by God in his image to reflect his glory. Like, think about that. That's you. Your life, you are made by God in his image to reflect, to mirror the glory of the one who made you. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Such intentionality he has in his creation of your life. 
And murder breaks God's heart because it kills the created ones whom he loves. Life is sacred. Number two, life is priceless. I don't have to convince you of this. You can't put a dollar amount on a human life. I think about the ones that we love today that are, that are still with us. And my wife, my children, my parents, like you can't put a dollar amount on their life, right? The ones that we love, they are priceless. That's what God says as well. Life matters to God. There is immense value in a human life. And it's important to mention today that what's being discussed in politics right now regarding the life of the unborn, this is not a political issue, guys. This is a life issue. And all lives outside the womb, inside the womb, old, young, all nations, all backgrounds, all ethnicities, they matter to God. Listen to the psalmist's word in Psalm 139. He says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. And like God is the master designer of your life. Like he's created all the inner parts, the outer parts. You are beautifully and wonderfully made and every life is beautifully and wonderfully made by him. Can we just say amen to that and give him praise? He's created us on purpose. When we are marked by God's love and his truth, all human life will matter to us because all human life matters to God. And I think this impacts us sometimes more than we even realize, doesn't it? Sometimes we have to slow down and just kind of enter this space and might be a little uncomfortable and, you know, everyone always says, oh, Josh, you're so happy and here I am kind of bringing y'all down today. But there's hope for us through this. If we can lean in a little bit more together, come with me. We're going to find God's amazing peace in this. But for you, maybe this is something that's hitting really close home for you today. Maybe you've experienced someone taken from you because someone violated the sixth commandment. Well, I want to encourage you with the powerful words of Jesus. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The Holy Spirit is able to comfort you in your time of loss. God's peace, it reaches us in our darkest hour. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we find salvation, we find healing, and an unexplainable peace beyond all understanding. And as we do work through a sensitive topic together today, I'm praying that you know that you are not alone, that as you experience a loss, maybe that's right now, maybe it's something that happened in the past, and maybe this is for something that will happen in the future, I want you to know your Blaze family, we are here with you. Yes, of course, your God is with you, but we are here as a family to uphold you, to pray for you, to encourage you, and strengthen each other. Now, as far as number six goes, you shall not murder. You might be like me, and initially looking at this text, you might say, all right, thankfully, I haven't committed this one. I know I was saying that, and in steps Jesus. (laughs) 
and he has something new to say on the matter. And he says, there's more than meets the eye to number six. So don't, don't move so quickly to number seven. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law, right? He came to say, no, the law is good. But let me show you the heart of the matter. Let me build on top of this and reveal God's heart and reflect the life that he wants us to live. And he says, we've all broken this one. <laughs> now, Jesus, that is a huge claim. How have we all broken this commandment? Well, let's listen to his words in Matthew. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What heavy words Jesus has for us, right? Like, how did he just go from murder to anger? Like, that, that went up really quickly. Jesus, are you saying with someone is the same as killing a person? Now, if you're a human being like me, that's, that's kind of a concerning thought, because if you've got children, you're going to get angry at some point. Can I get an amen, somebody? Like, if you're a human being, we all experience anger. So what, what is Jesus saying? Well, let's first look at what he's not saying. He's not saying, don't get angry. Like, like he's not saying that you're going to get angry, right? For many years, I think uh, this is important, I hope for you as well as, uh, as it was for me, but I think for many years, I thought like getting angry is bad. Like getting angry always is a sin. Not so. Anger itself is not a sin. Anger itself is a God-given expression. Let's look at what God's word has to say. Ephesians Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says this, in your anger, do not sin. Another translation says, be angry and do not sin. Like, how clear is that? Like, go ahead, like, be angry over the situation, but don't move in to hurtful anger, but don't sin. Now, what about the verse, you might be saying, that says, God never gets angry, so you should never get angry either. Just love more. Just try harder. You won't find that. It doesn't exist. Paul recognized that sometimes the appropriate and right response to a situation is anger. Sometimes if you're not angry, you're wrong. I mean, think about it. If we see murder and injustice, wrong things happening, and something doesn't stir up in you to get angry about it, something would be wrong, right? There are situations when it's good and when it's right to be angry. Listen to this quote by Pastor Tim Keller. He says, Anger in its pure form is love in motion when someone or something you love is under threat. For example, if someone does something hurtful to my wife or my daughter, I'm going to be angry about that. I'm going to want justice. Now, anger itself, like we're saying, is not a wrong emotion. It's a God-given expression. But what makes it good or bad, listen to this, is two things. Number one, how we process it. 
And number two, how we treat others while we're experiencing anger. How we process it and how we treat others while we're experiencing it. So we talked about what Jesus is not saying. Let's look at what he is saying in this text. What he is saying is that anger that hurts another person, that's what he's talking about. That's what's equated with the same weight as, as murder. He elevates the call from do not murder to do not kill another person in your heart through your hurtful words and actions. So we have to ask the question, when I'm angry, does my anger hurt or help others? When I'm angry, does my anger hurt or does it help others? And maybe you haven't broken the sixth commandment for yourself in the literal sense, but maybe you've completely written off someone in your heart. You know, we, we say things so flippantly sometimes, right? Like, I want to kill my boss, or I couldn't care less about him, or she is dead to me. Think about that. What are we doing to the person in our heart? Killing them in our heart. And Jesus says, if you kill them with anger, it's the same in God's eyes as murdering the person. And we see murder as particularly bad, and rightfully so, because it severs a life. And Jesus is also saying that when we kill someone with our hurtful words and our actions, it's just as severe because it has the potential to sever relationship, has the potential to kill relationship. I mean, think about this with me. How is it possible that we can have someone that we've known for so many years, maybe a sibling or a family member or a friend, close friend, and we never talk to them again because something was done or something was said, a moment in time. Or maybe it's a stranger on a more day-to-day simple level. They cut in front of us on the LIE or the supermarket, and we instantly hate them in our heart. I mean, come on, am I alone on that? Someone cuts me off, what is wrong with you? You're always talking to the car. There's never a human in the car. You're like mad at the car. But let's look at this and really break this down, what Jesus is saying. Let's read this again. He says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So the type of anger, the Greek definition of the word he's using here is that provoking, enraging, wrathful. It's a a hurtful anger that Jesus is talking about. He continues, he says, Again, Everyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, this word Raka, I, I don't know about you. I don't go around saying Raka. Does anybody say Raka here? Oh, okay. It's, it's an Aramaic word. And so at the time that Jesus is speaking to his audience, this is very applicable. And it is for us today. We just have to look at its definition. So Raka means you're nothing. I dismiss you. Get out of my way. I want nothing to do with you. To me, is as if you're not even alive. Couldn't care less about you. Yeah. Goodbye. He continues. He says, And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, this you fool, it's, it comes from a position of pride. It says, You know what? I'm not so bad as that person. They're going to hell. See what they did? It's all focused on the other person. It's a prideful response. It's writing them off in your heart, saying, they don't really mean that much. But we do this, don't we? 
in our sinful humanity, even in our everyday, we want to think that we're better than we are. And I want us to see that this can, it can evidence itself, this hurtful anger, it can come through hurtful and blatant outbursts, which is sort of easy to detect in our lives, right? But it can be sneaky and hard to detect, and that's often what I find in my life. Can I give you a couple examples of what this looks like in my life? Because I'm a human being as well. So with my children, over the course of COVID, I had the privilege and the blessing to be able to work from home a lot, working on the computer. And uh, I remember at least a couple of moments where I got frustrated because the house wasn't as quiet as I wanted it to be. or I felt like I wasn't being respected and I just lash out in hurtful anger. Hey, will you, will you keep it down? Just a biting tone. Or with my wife, I can so easily cast judgment on the ones I love the most. Sending a message that says, oh, just get out of my way. I can do this better. You're useless right now. Like, that's so hurtful. I'm a terrible person, guys. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm by myself over here, but this is how it evidences itself in our lives. This hurtful anger. We write people off don't matter to us, who have treated us poorly, or we say, they don't deserve my love, but Jesus, <laughs> and he has a better way for us. So why? Why do we respond in this way? Why do we respond with this hurtful anger? Where does it come from? Let's ask that question. Go a layer deeper with me. And Jesus shows us that there is a deeper condition that originates this destroying anger. He says it comes from within. Look at his words a couple of chapters later in Matthew. He says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Like our words, our actions, as bad as they can be sometimes, they originate from some, they're coming from somewhere long before the act, long before the words. It's coming from our heart. The outward action reveals an inward condition. Come on, we know this, right? Growing up, I always heard garbage in, garbage out, right? You you ever hear that phrase? On the flip side, it's true. Good things in, good things out. But there's an inner condition that we've got to address today. It says, what is causing us to respond in hurtful anger? And how do we fix this? We can't. (laughs) All right, so everybody pack up. We can't. You're hopeless. Go home. We have hurtful anger. Now, Jesus has a way. And not only does he have the way, he is the way. He's the only way. He's the only way to fix this broken heart that we have, this hurtful anger, this pain that we experience from loss. He is the only solution. We don't fix this by trying harder. We don't fix this by resolving to be nicer. We don't fix this by doing more good things. We need a brand new heart, a heart transplant, a heart made new by the love of God to enable us to love the ones that we don't want to love, that we feel like they don't deserve it. He loved us while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. He said, I will go to that cross and give my everything for you. Unconditional love, not based on merit. This is what our God does. This is the promise that we have to hold on to today. God's words to Ezekiel, he says, and I will give you a new heart. 
and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. What a promise that our God makes to us today. A tender and responsive heart to love as he loved, to love as he loves us today. This promise was made to the prophet Ezekiel. Now I want us to see that it was fulfilled through Jesus. See, the Old Testament, all through the the scripture, we can see pointing to Jesus. We have been made new by the perfect work of Jesus. And this is the new heart that he came to bring us. Guys, Jesus is our only hope in this. See, we start with a commandment where many of us say, yeah, we've been marked by this. But many of us also say, thankfully, I haven't done this. And yet Jesus says something new and he says, no, no, no one is exempt from number six. So what do we do? We look to him, our perfect substitute, who fulfilled all of the law. Well, how did he do that? Let's reflect on that. How did Jesus himself fulfill the sixth commandment? He loved. He brought close. He did not push away, no matter who the person was or what their background was or what they had done. He wasn't concerned about it. He said, come on close. He wasn't prideful. He was humble. He didn't murder others, not in action, nor in words. He took the punishment, the full punishment, God's rightful anger against sin. He took that on himself. He went to the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He willingly took our place and rose again and reconciled us back to God, restored our relationship with God. He didn't mistreat others who mistreated him. He didn't mistreat the ones who persecuted him. He didn't think negatively about the ones who crucified him. He loved them. He forgave all our sin at the cross. He paid the price once and for all. And now he invites us into this beautiful and powerful and challenging invitation to lay down our selfish anger, to say, if you have forgiven me, How do I have a right to withhold forgiveness for another? No matter what they've done. God's plan is for us to be a part of his restorative work on the earth today. See, there's so much beauty here for us this morning. That his healing that he wants to bring your heart in every area of grief and loss, of hurtful anger, to heal those things so that you are a catalyst of restoring another person's life. It's powerful. See, we've been reconciled. The gospel says that Jesus came to restore our broken relationship with the Father so that we can move out in restoration of each other. That's why we use language around here like Blaze family. We are the family of God. A family's messy. A family offends one another. A family doesn't do the right thing all the time. But God's family is built on his who are marked by his love to restore each other. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. He says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Like he's gone ahead, he's done it. He was, he's restored our relationship with him. And, th- and then he said, now go. Now you be a part of this restorative work. You reveal the heart of God to the lives that are around you. See, what we're seeing here is vertical reconciliation leads to and empowers us to experience horizontal reconciliation. That vertical connection, when we say, God, you are my God. You have created me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made in you. I'm made on purpose. Thank you for saving me. Now use me to be your love in the lives of those around me, even the hard ones, (laughs) especially the hard ones. Jesus says, a little later in this passage, he concludes with this call to action. Listen to this. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to the person and then come and offer your gift. Like he's literally like, hey, if you're at church, leave the service. (laughs) Go be reconciled to the person. First things first. We don't make up for this by trying to do something good, do something better. He says, just go. Be reconciled to the person. See, this new heart that he gives us doesn't just enable us to be nicer people. It transforms our complete identity from a murderer to a reconciler. The gospel restores us so that we can restore others. It's not just about us. You know, sometimes I go through my days and I'm acting like it's the Josh show and I'm doing my thing and I'm plugging away. But we remember that God has a bigger call and a bigger picture for our lives to restore the lives of others. Now, can I be real with you for a second? This is hard. Let me speak to some real tension that we have on this. We say, how? Jesus, how? I've gone to the person. I've tried to reconcile. I've forgiven them in my heart. They just won't listen. This isn't working. What do we do with that, that tension? Let's listen to what God's word has to say. He says, Paul writes in Romans, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Sounds so simple, right? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or what does that look like? Acknowledge that some relationships may be dead. Some relationships may have experienced and you've tried and you've forgiven and you've done your part. Can I just say that's okay? But can Continue to pray. When that hurtful memory comes up, continue to bring that to the Lord. He knows the pain. He knows. He walked. Like like we just reflected on, he was persecuted. He knows the pain that we experience. But continue to bring that before your God and pray for the person. But if you're honest and you're here this morning and you're saying, yeah, I sense the Holy Spirit stirring my heart to forgive, to reconcile, to go to the person. Can I encourage you with everything that I have this morning? Heed the voice of God. Listen to his voice. Give everything and everyone to him.
And that's a prayer I've been finding that I've just simply been praying throughout my day. God, I give everything and everyone to you. It's like a little reset. Maybe you need a big reset. God, I give that person to you. I give that situation to you. He's able to restore and to give us a new heart to love no matter what. I think there's no better prayer for us to pray in this moment than the psalmist's words in Psalm 51.10. He says this, and you may have heard this before. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Create a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit. God, I want to be like you. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I, know, I don't know how to navigate this one. But Lord, would you create in me this clean heart so I can love as you love? I want to pray for us today. I want to pray for a couple of things. First, I want to pray for each and every one of us to form our complete identity around the person and the good work of Jesus Christ. I want to pray that when we see ourselves, that we see ourselves through God's eyes, created in his image and his likeness, created on purpose, deeply loved by him. Can we give everything and everyone to him today? I also want to pray for everyone in this room who has experienced, is experiencing, or will experience deep loss. I think that covers every one of us. But I, I do want to pray for you as you grieve those losses. Maybe someone being taken from you in this way or another. I want to pray for God's peace in this moment. And I want to pray for anyone who needs reconciliation in our horizontal relationships with another. So would you open your hands with me as we go before the Lord once again in prayer? Father, we thank you that when our human words fall so short, when we recognize the weight of what's here, Lord, and say, we can't do this, Lord, we recognize you are all sufficient. You're the answer. You are truly everything that we need. It's not just something we say. God, we need you. Can you just say that? Father, I pray for every person in this space, especially those right now who are grieving deep loss. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit of comfort. I thank you that your name is Healer. That you, God, the one who created them, who knows their pain, you are with them, you are for them. And Lord, would they experience such deep healing and forgiveness, mercy, and love on their hearts in this moment. Father, I pray for those who have committed murder, such an atrocious thing, yet your forgiveness stretches and covers. Lord, we pray, Father, forgive those. Forgive those. Forgive us who have done this, Lord. Forgive us for having hurtful anger, for holding indifference for another, for withholding compassion, for biting words, for hurtful thoughts. Lord, would you give us that tender and responsive heart? Would you replace that stony heart within us and make us brand new? 
Lord, I pray for reconciliation in relationships. I pray for restoration. Lord, even when it seems impossible, you are the God over impossible situations. Lord, right now, whoever we're thinking about, wherever we are, we pray that you bless them. We pray that you love them. We pray that you heal them. And we pray that you give us a heart to do the same. We thank you, Lord. And we receive this new heart. We ask you for it. We receive it because it's a gift. Would you continue to make us more and more like your son each day as we look to you to be restored that we might be a part of restoring the lives of others. Thank you, God. Thank you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your holy name we pray.